The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner, sitting next to my co-host, Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Hey, now. This show is designed to share with you prudent financial planning and investment uh, ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. If you uh, have a, a topic or a comment for the show, please do jump in throughout the program. We are Today we are broadcasting live in Seattle, downtown Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, the number, if you want to give us a buzz, is one eight eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero, or you can shoot an email to contact at empiradio.com, contact at empiradio.com, and our crack engineer Simon will patch that uh, email through. Uh, if you want to. Ethan, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about uh, how we can help throughout the week outside of the show, one-on-one, mano-a-mano. <laughs> no, no problem, Ken. Uh, righty then. Uh, you're uh, you're on, a, on a tear today. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're an individual investor out there, perhaps oh, you're, you're looking for uh, maybe some help. Oh. Maybe you're doing things on your own so far. Um, if you'd like it, something as simple as a second opinion on your portfolio, we'd be happy to provide that to you. If you're looking for perhaps a, a more more complicated take on your specific situation, maybe you're looking toward retirement and have many uh, uh, retirement decisions to make in terms of timing of pensions, when to take Social Security, what tax planning strategies can you implement as you enter retirement to save money on taxes and those sorts of things. We also are experts at that and would love to spend you know an hour perhaps together going over your specific situation how we might be able to help. Uh, if you'd like to reach us, we can be reached at... 206-923-3474. That's our office number here in Seattle. And feel free to ask for Ken or Ethan, and we'd be happy to, to get together. Uh, also, if you're a professional advisor out there, maybe you're at a time in your life with your practice that you might look to partner up with a very well-established uh, firm like ours, um, a strong track record of doing the right things for clients and uh, an infrastructure to help you better manage and build your own business, we'd love to hear from you as well. And we can reach you the same number at 206-923-3474 and ask for Ken or Ethan. We'd be happy to talk with you. That'd be good stuff, Ethan. Yes. Um, oh, okay, one more thing, just so I were on, on top of mind here. Just uh-huh. wanted to let uh-huh. folks know we have uh, two retirement presentations next week. Let's get on that. We have one in Tacoma at noon on Tuesday uh, in our Tacoma office in, uh, in, in down in Tacoma. 
And then on Wednesday, we have one in Seattle here at 11.30. And that actually will be at the Wild Ginger, uh, not our office here in Seattle. But uh, if you'd love to like Wild to come, Ginger. we'd be happy to have you at either one. Um, basically, the topics are the six secrets to retirement success, uh, a little presentation we've been doing for a little while now. And uh, if you're in that you know, time of life, when you're considering retirement, uh, it'd be well worth, worth your while to come to the presentation. It's free, by the way. Absolutely no charge, huh? No charge, and you can register, uh, again, to give us a call here at 206-923-3474, and uh, we'd love to have you there. Hmm. All righty, then. Uh, Ethan, you want to uh, give out, a qu- you want to go over a quick sure. overview of the, what's going on with the market uh, this year? And I think recently, we should. And uh, uh, we could uh, tackle a couple other, once we do that, we'll dive into some uh, other topics. I know you've got one. Uh, and I, I have a few things. I'm just flipping through the investment news here to see if there's any, any interesting headlines. Sure. But I, I just read a paper, a research study on asset placement. I think it's kind of interesting and timely mm-hmm. with some of the presentations you've been providing. Yeah, that's right. That's actually one of the secrets. So let's talk business. <laughs> All right. Well, just looking at the, uh, the markets here recently, um, looking at the last one year, Boy, we've hit a new all-time high on the Dow, it appears today, uh, currently 15,876, um, very, very high level, which is great, good to see. Um, the last one year has been also very, very good uh, for most of the asset classes. In fact, I'm looking on down the list, the Dow Jones for the, the last one year is up about 26%. That's, uh, you know, the large, large 30 stocks in the United States here. The S&P is up 32%, uh, large cap growth. Up about 33, large cap value, a uh, bit of a more unique asset class, up 36%. And then looking at small cap stocks, both have done great. Uh, small cap growth beating, or rather, small cap growth beating small cap value at 48% versus 42%. So those are some significant gains over the last 12 months. Um, really, really quite good, obviously. Uh, looking at international stocks, very good there as well, although not quite as good as here in the U.S. Looking at uh, large cap international stocks, up about 30%. Looking at large cap international value, thirty one percent over the last twelve months, right? Yeah, last last one year exactly. Hmm. And then large cap international growth, twenty eight percent. So, uh, large positive, thirty eight sorry, twenty eight percent. Gotcha. A lot of eights out there. Mm-hmm. The one thing, well, a couple of things have been lagging. Uh, the rest of the world, uh, namely emerging markets, uh, they're only positive for the last one year, about five percent. Uh, but not as much as gold. The gold is down about 25% for the same period. and really represents a, an enormous disparity of returns there between the negative 25 and the largely positive 30, 30% or so for the rest of the asset classes. Good reason to, uh, to own lots of different things, I guess, there. Certainly, certainly. Um, looking across just the year-to-date performance, highly similar, obviously, because we're close to the end of the year here, so I won't go into to all of that. Um, but... Uh, Stocks have been been very 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 good. Any comments on that, Ken? Uh, no, no, I, I I do agree with what you're saying. That in spite of the year to date performance actually being negative on emerging markets, um, mm-hmm. owning a well diversified portfolio, including all of these major asset classes, is the way to go. Yeah. Um, now, gold and oil we track on there, but they're we don't recommend putting substantial amounts. Right. Uh, of your money into those two asset classes specifically, it's just something I like to track and see how they're how they're performing or what's going on with them. I had a 
just to build on this, com- this part of the conversation, I, I, you know, when you look at things like emerging markets that haven't done well year to date anyway, they're well, they're negative five percent for the year to date, but and virtually everything else is among the equities anyway, very very much positive. Although there is a disparity among the asset classes, some are up a lot more than others. That's true, um, but I think this is exactly what a diversified portfolio should look like, um, mainly because you have lots of different things doing behaving differently even over the same period of time. Right. And we don't we haven't talked about the bonds yet, but bonds have done have not done very well this year. They've been pretty flat across the board and some are some asset classes among bonds are actually negative. But that is okay too. Um, in particular because you want to have in a portfolio anyway, especially when you're taking money out of a portfolio, it's really critical. I mean the, the one of the main rules to investment success is to not sell things when they after they go down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a portfolio that consists of stocks and bonds, this is particularly as you enter retirement, it, it is okay that some of your assets, some of the investments specifically, go down in a particular period of time. Because invariably you'll have others that go up, obviously. Right. And when you're taking money out of the portfolio, clearly you, you would target the parts of the portfolio that have done, done the best recently if you need money. And if you were less diversified, you would be forced at times to sell things after they go down in value. Which obviously would have a very large detrimental effect on the long-term sustainability of your own portfolio. Yes. So I think two important things there, just talking about the returns. Having a diversified portfolio across and within each of the asset classes, among stock but also among bonds, and also make sure you have both stocks and bonds. You know, a lot of people have been saying, hey, I don't want any bonds in my portfolio, or at least I hear that in the news anyway. Hey, get out of bonds. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, they're an important part of the portfolio. They, they behave differently than stocks, and that's primarily why you own them. They, if you have the right type of bonds, they won't be as, as risky as uh, you know, long-term bonds or very, very low credit quality bonds. Um, but the main point is they don't behave like stocks and therefore give you flexibility when you take money out of a portfolio, which you desperately need if maintaining the, the sustainability of your own portfolio is important to you. Yeah. I mean, right along that, I'm just reading as I'm flipping through this uh, investment news um, PIMCO fund knocked off its perch for the first time since the financial crisis. A stock mutual fund is once again the largest, and uh, it's one of the total stock market index funds, surpassing the PIMCO total return fund hmm. as the largest mutual fund as of the end of last month, according to Morningstar. Um, so I think that's uh, you know indicative of of uh, people's you know. Uh, Excitement level of, of bond funds yeah. right now. Yeah, there is lots and lots of uh, talk in uh, in among the news sources dealing with bonds uh, about what's ex- what's expected to happen there. And mm-hmm. yeah, the, the bonds have not been doing well in the last twelve months overall. Year to date, they're they're not doing well. Although you know, not not terrible, just not great. Not nearly as good as stocks, obviously. Um, I don't know, but my. my my feeling is this, if you are in a point in life where you require bonds in a portfolio from a risk perspective, don't don't let the current news headlines about bonds scare you off. A well-constructed bond portfolio is very, very useful in the context of a diversified portfolio. Right. Um, and I would say this, too. How many, I would just ask this to you, Ken, or maybe uh, anybody else who's listening. How many people out there do you think are unaware of the the, the various bond risks that are out there? I mean... Uh, we've had all the headlines over the last many, many months. Actually, for the last many years, hey, bond rates have been low for a long time. Um, how many people here would expect 
or, or would not have anticipated some type of future rate increase when it comes to bonds. I mean, most people think, hey, they're going to go up in rates, right? Bond, bond, bond rates will go up, meaning bond prices will go down. Mm-hmm. But everybody probably would think that's true. Most people do anyway who's, who follows the market at all. But if that's true, then wouldn't the bond prices currently reflect that information? You know what I mean? Like if, hey, rates are expected to go up to a certain, a certain level, maybe, maybe 3% or something like that from zero, let's call it. If that's expected to happen, that's currently priced into the bonds already, right? So if it actually did happen, what would happen to the bond price? I, I think a lot of the, um, the analysts would say, well, you have the Federal Reserve pumping money in there. They, they're kind of controlling the interest rates. It definitely influences um, me for sure. So it's not, it's not the uh, – where rates are right now are, are not necessarily a function of the natural market forces. No, I agree. Um, if, if investors, you know, taking uh, – but they are being artificially held – Lower mm-hmm. than than what's usual, I guess you could say. Right. Um, but in terms of what I think, what you're really getting at here is: is there a way of getting ahead of that of of the market to produce a, a better return? Right. By either avoiding the asset class entirely, um, or doing something different, like mm-hmm. shorting bonds, for right. example. Sure. You know that would be a strategy. You could short. If you thought interest rates were going to go up significantly very quickly, you could certainly engage in ETFs uh, that take a short position on the long-term treasuries and things like that. Um, but the issue with that is it's very difficult and it's very risky. Sure. I guess we need to go ahead and take a break, Ethan. Let's do that, and we'll come back and uh, pick up on this conversation and more on Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Entering our uh, second segment of today. And uh, just to remind everybody, if you'd like to join us on the show today or um, have a question or perhaps uh, want to add to the show in any way, you can reach us at 866-472-5790 or via email at contact at empiradio.com. All right, Ken, what should we do to this segment? Do we have uh, – should I read my article that I have here? Go over uh, that uh, Yeah, I would love to. Okay. So I just uh, came across this article um, just yesterday, I believe it was, just reading um, the uh, USA Today a little bit and uh, came across this. thought it would be worth kind of going over on the show. Pretty short I would love to. article, just about two pages here. Um, but basically the headline got, got my attention. It's this, Why It's So Dangerous to Time the Markets. And it's written by uh, Morgan Housel of The Motley Fool. And uh, it's pretty interesting. It says here, avoiding a 40% crash leaves you worse off if it also causes you to miss 120, or rather 170% rally, which is true. And the story highlights include this. Uh, you can miss big gains when you try to time the market. We've talked about that a lot on the show. And indeed, when we talk with clients, it's really difficult to time the market. Um, and part of the risk is you miss not only, you know, most of the, the recovery when it finally occurs. Um, and there are a few timers that can be consistently correct, and obviously we agree with that. There's lots of data out there that shows that's probably the, the case. So here's the story. Investor John Hussman is a smart guy. He seems nice, and this is nothing personal. But Hussman is bearish on stocks, and he's been for a while. With S&P 500 up more than 20% this year, he sounds about as pessimistic as he ever has, leading to a big front-page cover story in Business Insider last week. Hussman recently wrote, quote, I continue to believe that it's plausible to expect that the S&P 500 to lose 40 to 55% of its, of its value over the completion of the present cycle and suspect whatever few further gains the market enjoys from this point will be surrendered in the first few complacent weeks following the market's peak. Uh, Arco goes on to say, I won't argue with this. Stocks have done well, and you could call them pricey. There will be more crashes. But Hussman has been so sure of this outlook that he's had a substantial short position in his flagship fund for years. As the market surged, his returns have been decimated. The irony is that in the process of preparing for a, the possibility of a 40% crash, Hushman's, Hussman's fund has almost suffered an <laughs> actual 40% crash itself. Uh, this is the financial equivalent of burning your own house down to avoid any chance of being damaged in the wildfire. So what's going on here, I guess, basically is this. Um, he's been bearish for many, many years. And uh, the market's obviously continued to surge upward for not just the last year, uh-huh. but since the bottom of the market, you know, back in 2009, March 2009, the market's up up a ton since then. What, what fund is, is it that he's running? Yeah, I, ha- I have it right here, I believe. Hang on a second. Uh, it's the... I'm not locating it here. On uh, the, I'll get it while you uh, proceed on. All right. Sounds good. So the gap between the S&P 500 returns and Hussman's returns is now so deep that even if the, his crash predictions come true, mm-hmm. it's not at all clear that he'd actually win. 
Hussman needs to beat the S&P by more than 100 percentage points just to break even against the index over the last 10 years. This is a massive hurdle, it says. And I don't know if it's ever been done before. Oh, I see, because there's the uh, Hussman. I found this uh, Hussman Strategic Growth Fund. It's down 6.3%, uh, but the, they give it through October 31st um, for the last year. Right. But the last five years, it's down almost 5% a year. I don't know if that's even the fund that they're talking about. There's a lot of different um, funds he's got, it looks like. So. Right. so what do we learn from this? Two things. Uh-huh. One, there are two types of risk. The first is what author William Bernstein calls shallow risk, or a temporary fall in asset market prices. Stocks fall maybe by a lot, but recover in a few years and life goes on. The other is deep risk, or a permanent loss that's nearly impossible to recover from. I think there's a growing chance people like Hussman tried to avoid shallow risk, and in the process are now facing deep risk. Because of inflation, real growth, and retained earnings, the market has a clear upward bias over the long run. No question about that. So missing rallies can be more harmful than getting caught in downturns. Put another, put another way, avoiding a 40% crash leaves you worse off if it also causes you to miss a 170% rally. Well, that's for sure, right? Mm-hmm. You're near net, net negative uh, there significantly. And then two, there's an old saying in finance. Do you want to be right or do you want to make money? If you're in the punditry business, all that matters is being right. Successfully managing money is different. Rather than attempting to avoid risk, I've come to believe it's far more efficient to accept it. Take the market ups and downs as they come. This means you forgo the glory of getting big calls right, but it increases your chances of making money in the long run. I mean, that's, in essence, our philosophy, right? That's how we view the market, because yeah. it is impossible to So I'm shocked, because the, uh, this is out of the Motley Fool. I don't like most of what those guys produce. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it is. A, they're constantly trying to push their market timing, stock and picking, stock picking, and little, little funny, garbage. Right? And the, who they're quoting does not really like uh, Bernstein is not really uh, a stock picker or market timer. No, isn't yeah, reflective sure. of what they're doing. Actually, I'd put them more in the Hussman category <laughs> um, as a group than I would yeah, fair Bernstein enough. category. Well, for sure. Um, and I definitely wouldn't recommend following their investment advice. That's for sure. All right. But nonetheless, the point is good. Yeah, and accurate. I agree with that. That uh, timing the market is not not a, not a great risk management or return enhancing approach, if you ask ask me. Um, yeah, I agree. But, and so I, the one thing on this, I, I think I think this all the time, and I I, I mention this to clients because we have interactions with I do all the time. I'm one of the lead advisors here at Empirical, and I I, I always try to get clients to to understand that it's it is better to accept the risk. And try to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, the, the, to the extent you do accept it, really is a function of how much stocks to bonds you have in your portfolio. The more risk you're willing to accept, clearly the more stocks you would have. The more you're not, the more bonds you would have, right. in essence. Um, so that leads most people, frankly, are in the middle someplace. Usually, you know, maybe it's a, usually a balanced portfolio is what most folks have, whether it be you know forty percent stocks or sixty percent stocks. Doesn't really matter. Point is, they're balanced, right. and they are taking only the risk that a they can accept. And feel comfortable with, meaning that if, hey, if stocks decline 50%, your, your portfolio is not going to go to zero because you have a lot of money outside of stocks altogether. And then by accepting that risk, you actually have the likelihood of getting better returns than right. trying to avoid them. So I think it's important. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, um, Ethan, I was, uh, you know, our whole approach to investing is empirical approach. Uh, 
I, I try to stay up on various uh, articles and studies that get done that are not as always as exciting as you know buying Twitter or um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah what 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 the um, hot hot uh, new product of the day that that somebody is pushing out there. But uh, what you know where where possible where can you uh, slowly start chipping away at adding adding return or reducing risk to your portfolio and um, uh, you know we always try to focus on things we feel that there's some substantial evidence and so I like to look at more of the planning journals than for example a, a, a fortune magazine or a, you know um, one of those types of more commercialized uh, investment periodicals mm-hmm. or subscribing to a, a newsletter with you know hot stock market ideas I, I would inc- including like I was saying the Motley Fool kind of stuff right. uh, I, w- I would it all sounds great and it all can be fun and, and exciting and I think that the, the role that that would have would be the sim- similar role uh, that you would have in, in reading about how to win it at at uh, playing blackjack at the casino, as long as you realize that's just fun stuff, but you're not taking it seriously as your long-term wealth development strategy, right? <laughs> as long as you understand that, and I and I think um, where the industry, and hopefully we can change that with what we're doing over time, um, and the people producing books and things like that, that they don't really take any responsibility of of differentiating those two. And saying, "Hey, what I'm doing here is, you know, I've created this news that I can make money from, and hey, maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. But ultimately, it's kind of like there should be um, not just the disclosure that's on a mutual fund prospectus says past performance is n- is not indicative of future results, but more of uh, what is on a on a carton of cigarettes that says, hey, engaging in this behavior can be detrimental to your financial future." And cause it you to prematurely run out of money or not reach your objectives sure. because of the risks associated with engaging in this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, the more of the disclosure I'd love to see before Jim Cramer gets on TV and starts yelling out stock recommendations. Uh, that doesn't seem to be be there. You know, there doesn't seem to be. And when it's convenient, like in the article you read, uh, the media and, and a lot of the the industry can quickly. Embrace something that you know. It tends to be more if if the cigarette producers, if that was something you felt needed to be disclosed, Ethan. And I'm not making any political statements about that. I don't smoke, never have, so it hasn't been an issue for me. But if you felt, hey, there should be some disclosure about that, it shouldn't only be when they have created some other product uh, that now it's in their benefit to disclose. Oh yeah. Um, right. Hey, now we have a safer thing of this. Uh, you shouldn't be smoking that. Well, for the last however many years, that's all they've been peddling, and right. until they, you know, it, it would be nice um, to do that. But anywho, I got a little off track there. The study I was reading through uh, was published in the Financial Planning Journal, um, Journal of Financial Planning. I, I, I mean, on the recent issue, and it's. Uh, looks like we're going to have to take a break in a few minutes, but it's the uh, seconds. The a- asset location decision revisited, and William Reichenstein did a study of his own reviewing a lot of different studies on where to put different types of investments, taxable accounts versus tax deferred. And when we come back from the break, I thought you and I could go over some of the key findings in that study and, and give a little insight. Sounds great. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with Empirical Investing Radio. Mm-hmm. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Thank you okay. for joining us, Empirical Investing Radio. Uh, your host here, Ethan Broke, alongside Ken Smith. Sorry for the rough transition there. A little, uh, I mean, a little different than, than music we normally used to. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you handled it well, though, Ethan. Uh, we're entering our, our third segment, and Ken, today you're going to talk about uh, today. something dear to my heart, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. Asset mm-hmm. location. Now, we've all heard of asset allocation, the mix between investments, risky and less risky within your portfolio. But asset placement or asset location uh, is a little different than that. Yeah, yeah. Asset location is this issue of uh, taking a, doing your best to manage your the tax code uh, to, to your advantage when it comes to where to put different types of investments. And so if you have a taxable account, just a count in your name, count with you and your partner or spouse's name that went after tax money went into, it's like a regular bank account or investment account or something in a trust that is taxed at ordinary income tax rate um, or capital gains tax rates. Uh, should you invest, the, put different uh, a different set of investments in that account than you would in your 401k plan or your pre-tax IRA ca- account? And there's been a lot of studies, Ethan, uh, mm-hmm. on this. He goes through, uh, the author, I was saying, William Rickenstein, of this one, the Asset Location Decision Revisited, mentions two two uh, big groups of studies, and the primary difference between the two groups of previous studies are 
how they treat uh, the um, the government's participation, if we could call it that, in your <laughs> retirement account uh, as it relates to the asset allocation decision. So, in your your presentation, you've been doing, you show, uh, you focus on a Roth account and a any any traditional IRA account. Right. And in, and in your analysis, you talk about the difference between, well, if I had a million dollars, guy like you, very successful advisor, mm-hmm. and you got wound up getting a half a million dollars into a Roth IRA because you had a great advisor like yourself again, and uh, you'd been doing a lot of Roth conversions when you're in those years. We have lower lower uh, income tax, if or none. Right. Uh, why, why not do it, right? Exactly. And maybe you've been putting in anyway into a Roth throughout your life. It's possible. And then you've got your money in your pre-tax uh, traditional IRA, and you said, well, how, how could I structure this? And the two broader asset classes would be stocks and bonds, taxable bonds, I, I assume, in your presentation there. And you're saying, well, what if we put the bonds in the traditional IRA account and put the, the, the equities into the Roth account, which the Roth account does never gets taxed uh, as long as I you know, do what I'm supposed to do there. Yeah. It never gets taxed uh, whether I pull it out in my lifetime or if my beneficiary pulls it out. So that could even make it uh, a, a bigger tax planning opportunity right. if you right. had 50 or 60 years of stock growth and we had just even below average, if it happened to be a, a very below average 50-year period, you still would do quite well uh, in, in that account. And the difference in wealth at the end could be very substantial in the way, just in the way you handle the tax decision. Um, traditionally, what you might see is someone determining what their allocation of stocks and bonds are and then putting that allocation in each of their accounts. So if it was 50% stock, 50% bonds, they'd invest each account that way. Mm-hmm. And you're a very simple analogy, and it is simplified sure, uh, because you make the account sizes equal yeah. and, and uh, the allocation's 50-50 and so forth. Right. It gets a little trickier without some, some uh, rebalancing software, some programming. To If you had multiple di- accounts, some clients that we work with have 10 or 15 different, type, different accounts. For right, different. right. To keep those all in, in in one balance while while affecting this idea of asset location, mm-hmm. right? Well, in these studies, um, you know, I was saying the two groups he divided it in are, he brings up a couple things I thought I'd share with you that are interesting, Great. worth chewing on. Um, and one is, hey, if the government has a participation, uh, is a partner of yours, in effect, a, a business partner, and let's say it's your pre-tax IRA account, and... and uh, you're in a 30% income tax bracket in, during retirement. Uh, in their studies, that's what they use as kind of the base case, for example. So yeah, they're a 30% partner in that account. Um, do you? How do you account for the allocation? Um, and so this first group, these guys uh, that have done studies from year 2004 all the way through 2013, uh Including your one of your guys, you like to read his articles, Kitches and, and others. Sure, he says, well, they're they're kind of missing it because they don't account for the fact that thirty percent of that IRA is no longer yours. So whatever you put in that account, if it was bonds, uh, for example, and it was a if it was say it's a hundred thousand dollars in that account, and you put it all in bonds, well, 
you don't have $100,000 of bonds. You actually only have $70,000 worth of bonds. Mm-hmm. You had $100,000 in a Roth account, and it was, and you put that all in equity, right? We actually have $100,000 of equity. Right. Uh, and I thought, well, that is an interesting concept. And so the second set of studies that he cites, well, they do account for that a little bit. Hmm. Um, it was something we should talk about a little more, I guess, offline um, as to how we handle it. But one of the things these studies don't, neither of them do, and I kind of made a list of notes as I was reading the article. And I'll, I'll skip the, the, the conclusion that most of these studies come to is it's better to put stocks in your taxable account and it's uh, bonds in your your IRA account. And after he's updated the study and included some other considerations, he comes up with a very similar conclusion. Uh, however, one of the one of one of the several um, things you have to be aware of is all that depends on what the return inputs are, what you actually get in terms of returns, mm-hmm. and and what what happens with the tax situation. Um, so they hold those things fairly constant. Right. So, for example, they take today's tax code and they indefinitely project that over the 30 or 40 year period. Uh, one, the tax code could certainly change, and two, your personal tax situation may change. Invariably, will change. Um, yeah. So that's something that requires ongoing management. It's hard to come up with a um, a rule of thumb, I guess, that would never change because you'd want to monitor how both of those are progressing or evolving, mm-hmm. including, for example, the recent change in how capital gains will be taxed for different people. Yep. If interest rates remain at an extremely uh, low rate, he says, well, that could affect what the results of this. You know, In most of the studies, they're using a 3% equity premium, um, but also you know, the, the interest rates are, are much higher. Um, so a couple of things I would point out about the study that we take it, I think, a little further than what's in, in these general studies. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a broad characterization, right, that stocks are better in, in a taxable account and put your bonds in a – go ahead. And just one thing on that, just okay. to be clear yeah. as to, to why that is, uh, if you're talking about any money coming out of an IRA account, assuming all of it that went in there to fund it was pre-tax dollars, like it usually is um, – and in this study, it's assumed that that money is coming out. When it comes out, you're being taxed at 30%. Okay. Right? So if you had a stock, let's say, in the IRA or if you, versus holding it in a taxable account, you're actually paying 30% tax on the gain, right, versus if it was in a taxable account, a non-IRA account, and let's say you're in the 15% marginal or 15% capital gains rate bracket, mm-hmm. you would only be paying 15% capital gains tax. Exactly. So the tax is effectively double in this particular study by owning stocks, at least the gains in the stocks, in the IRA versus the taxable account. That's why it's why that would work out. Yep. Yeah. Just be super clear for the audience there. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, they also, I mean, discount how you're taking capital gains, though. I mean, it's really hard to map this out in a study because mm-hmm. the way you 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 take capital gains um, within a taxable account could be different, right? I mean, sure. it's fifteen percent, um, but you but that depends on where. You know, are you are you going to in a stock mutual funds paying a lot of dividends, for example? Right. Um, and and that's what they don't talk about is we do a lot of asset placement where we say, well, or at least we consider. Hey, not only would we look at whether there's stocks or bonds in an account, but what if someone was all stock? What if their allocation was all stock? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I think it does matter what kind of stocks you're, you're putting into each account, and you could break that down a little further. If you have stocks that a very large percentage of the return is coming from you know, income that's yeah. being generated, that every single year is getting taxed, it's not getting deferred, um, or it was short-term capital gains, or you're recognizing ordinary income yeah. every single year. Yeah, or non-qualified dividends. That wouldn't be so great. Wouldn't be great at all, especially uh, the thirty percent tax bracket. Yeah, not so good. So you'd want to you'd want to say, hey, if I can if I can divert that into my my IRA account, that might be something worth considering, um, just mm-hmm. to avoid. The other thing is, again, they're not really giving much weight to the fact that you have a third bucket, which is a Roth. They don't really talk about that in here. Right. Um, it's primarily a taxable versus a pre-tax. If you've got an additional bucket, then you could really do some stuff because you could say, hey, we'll put the less you know, high return but also less tax efficient growth stock stuff in my Roth account. Mm-hmm. Um more of the income-producing low growth into my pre-tax right. is one option. And my long-term capital gains growth type of stock in my taxable account. Sure. You have the best um, of all three things there. You could optimize that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think it's something that needs to be done specifically on a client-by-client basis. And, and some of the things you brought up as well, it's all good and great about putting stock in your taxable account and putting bonds in your Ira, one of the other things they fail to cover in the studies are, what if you're pulling income out? <laughs> exactly. Um, would you really want to be pulling income out of your stock portfolio? You know, what's going up and down? Right. Um, or would a balanced approach be a better way to address that, how you're getting income out? Because if you did keep all the bonds in your IRA and you weren't ready to start making taxable distributions, mm-hmm. uh, or the amount you were doing was a smaller amount, or you want to do Roth conversions, right? Um, so you need to get the income from your taxable account for a while. You'd want to consider how that's all being structured. Um, yeah. they, they don't seem to address in, in here the uh, the fact that you have a choice of, of buying tax-free bonds as well. Um, so that that's something that we'd like to consider is this, you know, hey, where, where, where does that fit into this? Because um, in the case where we do need to have some some fixed income, you know, in the in the uh, in the taxable accounts, how are we going to do that? Right. Um, I think we have to take another quick break here, Ethan. We'll come back on. I'd I'd like to point out a few more things about this. Okay. And then uh, we can go through anything else you want to. Sounds good. We'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? 
Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back for our final segment of the day. Uh, Ethan Broger here alongside Ken Smith, and we're just wrapping up our discussion on an article that was in one of the recent uh, financial planning magazines on asset placement. Uh, Ken, what do you have next for us? Well, Ethan, I just I wanted to say that first of all, it's something that everyone should consider, and so before you know, a lot of this gets into uh, can be overwhelming sure. detail, but really, it's just something to be aware of that you have different types of investment accounts and those have different ways of being taxed, either money going in, mm-hmm. money coming out. Um, I, I think you do a great job of illustrating that uh, in your presentation that really what's important is your purchasing power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you have an account, whether it's a taxable account or you're looking at a traditional IRA or Roth IRA, um, you, shouldn't, you, you should consider the effects of the taxation on what the real purchasing power of that account is when you're making these decisions. And I think that's something he does bring out in this study that uh, William brings out is, hey, if you if you have a, a taxable account and it was a 15% capital gain, if you if you stuck to the long term gains and you've met the income requirement, uh, you've got you've got a partner in that case where if you do have a loss, the government is going to participate in that and allow you to carry that loss carry forward forward mm-hmm. uh, which is nice however if you have a gain you have control over the timing of when you realize it uh, and you can certainly make sure that it's at a reduced rate but uh, that that particular gain will be taxed and so same thing when you get into your pre-tax account it's just a much uh, larger partnership and you don't the, the government isn't participating or uh, Partnering in losses, it's only the upside that they really get. Yeah, uh, you got the tax deduction when you made the contribution, but after that, they get a piece of whatever comes out. So there is no tax loss harvesting or, or realizing capital gains loss uh, along the way. You both just get less if you, later if you lost everything in the account. Mm-hmm. Um, but they certainly do benefit significantly if it does well and it grows. Sure. Um, and not only that, they're going to force you to start pulling it out into age 70 and a half. And that's something that you do a lot of work in trying to say, well, how do we not be, how do we not get into a situation where we're forced to pull out and pay tax at a very high income bracket? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there are things that we need to do as soon as possible um, to plan around that. 
what's our what's our exit strategy going to be? Yeah. So, I think I wanted wanted to re, re uh, position that general rules of thumb can be good, but and these studies can be good. But I think what's more important is that you realize that there's a difference, and then you work with someone a, a tax and and uh, investment professional who understands these concepts and can really help build something designed to optimize your personal situation, both your your current uh, account situation, but your future tax and investment objectives. Because another last element I'll, I'll bring up, Ethan, that you brought up is, hey, if you do this in any kind of way, do you have the, the ability to look at the bigger picture and psychologically not get derailed by the fact that You've structured some accounts here that, that are going to be very aggressive and don't reflect your overall level of risk, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's hard to see that decline during the market and yeah. stay uh, old. And therefore, you, the, you know, a lot of these benefits that we point out are things that are small you know, in, in each year. So if you got an extra 1% in one year, it's not the, it's like you said, it's not uh, the most fantastic, exciting thing in the world. It's when you can do, it's the consistent discipline of doing right. that over 20 or 30 years. There you got it. That's it. That the compounding of that makes an enormous difference in your wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you do it in every aspect, uh, and I think that's what we try to do, is say, hey, let's let's not focus on the things that are least controllable and add the least amount of value, although they do tend to get the attention because if you got out of the market and it dropped 30%, that's very real to people. Sure. Very exciting, very uh, emotionally, you get a nice, big, juicy, emotional payoff immediately. Can I get that cha-ching, cha-ching? Um, right then, right? Hey, I got I got pulled out of the market right before it went down. And But if you said, hey, we're going to do it through a combination of these techniques, save you, compound your money at an extra, say, 2% a year, oh, that sounds pretty good, you know. Well, what if you knew that that turned into a million dollars extra money? Um, <laughs> right. I mean, and that's the real thing. Yeah. And I think that's where sometimes it's easier to get caught up by, you know, all the, the glamour and the glitz of the trading and getting in and out and the Twitter stories and all the stuff that's going on. Uh, and it's a little bit of the tortoise and the hare scenario here. That what you want to do is just get a disciplined approach and keep chipping away at every aspect of where you can build wealth. Right. Um and I and I think for most significantly successful investors, that's how they've done it. There's always a few people that do win the lotto or go into the casino win, yep. um, and they get all the attention. Right? It's not the millionaire next door guy that's been saving a hundred bucks a month for his, <laughs> since he was 15 years old. Right? That gets put on the front of the, you know these magazines. It's a guy that you know happened to have one good year in the stock market. Right. But. Anywho, it's just one of those things that I would I would be very aware of and make sure my advisor is considering at least uh, is how you're structuring your investments across this uh, these different types of taxation pools. I guess you. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, being aware of these things is is one thing, but properly int- implementing them and properly implementing them based on your specific circumstances is not an easy thing. Most of the time, mm-hmm. most people's lives are a little more complex than. What simple examples we're reading in a magazine, or even seeing some of the uh, even more complicated studies. So, how these rules affect you specifically, and what you should be doing are are things you need to help you, you need to figure out and have answers to. Um, and obviously, working with a qualified professional to help do that is, is usually usually a good thing. Um, yeah, I know myself. Uh, I find over the years, I am I acknowledge that I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert in most things. In fact, um, 
and therefore when I need help with things, I'm not an expert, and I tend to contact experts and work with them. And I'm usually happier with the results that way than, than if I did. Yeah. Well, then I was just, uh, we got a little time here. I was just, I've got some stories highlighted or that I thought might be interesting. Uh, <clears throat> in this investment news magazine, employees file 401k suit against Mass Mutual, a case uh, by Darla Mercado, a case involving allegations that 401k plan sponsors char- charged excessive fees is raising questions about whether general account products, group annuities, and stable value products might also spark litigation. Dennis Gordon, a participant in Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company's retirement plan, and a group of fellow participants filed suit last Tuesday in the U.S. District Court in Massachusetts. They allege that MassMutual, its its investment fiduciary and plan administrative committee, as well as a group of executives, offered almost exclusively proprietary funds via a group of annuity contract made available to workers. The group is represented by blah, blah, blah. Um, this latest suit could also spark litigation on a group annuity, stable value, and journal account. Um, there's an amazing amount of potential for cross-subsidization where the cost of the product will subsidize record-keeping, marketing, and compensation, she said. The problem is that in many of these products, that is not disclosed. Um, Mr. Schlichter stressed the firms that manufacture financial products owe a fiduciary duty to their workers. In the mass mutual case, participants could choose uh, to use their insurer's separate investment accounts or its general account or fixed interest account in the annuity, according to the suit. Um, so this is kind of interesting. It's, it's the employees of the group, apparently, of mass mutual, um, who is a 401k provider, mm-hmm. that... Um, are suing because of the the uh, excessive fees. It says um, 175 base points is the top end range in fees charged by Mass Mutual's general account plan. Um, and I guess we're out of time here, Ethan. I just I just thought it was interesting, and we do help with 401k plans. And one of our objectives is to keep the fees on a whole down as low as possible right. for the participants. So. Mm-hmm. Thanks for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio this week with Ken and Ethan. We'll be back uh, same time, same place next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Have a great week, and again, thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 